Shalom, and welcome again to another edition of Secrets of Meaning, the podcast TV arm of Jewish Sacred Aging. I'm your host, Rabbi Richard Address. We welcome you and appreciate you giving us your time for something uh, uh, that I think you're going to find very, very exciting today. Uh, again, by the way, uh, if you'd like to contact us with some ideas or suggestions, just feel free to email me at Rabbi Address at JewishSacredAging.com. Likewise, if you'd like information about sponsoring, um, any one of these podcasts, same address. Uh, like us on our Jewish Sacred Aging Facebook page. We appreciate that as well. Um, one of one of the most interesting developments in the last couple of months, publishing out of the CCAR Press, the Central Conference of American Rabbis Press, is uh, this rather wonderful not not rather but definitely wonderful book called Prophetic Voices, subtitled Renewing and Reimagining the Haftarah. The Haftarah, sort of like sometimes forgotten in the context of our liturgy, um, but something we're going to pay a lot of attention to uh, in this particular program. And to do that, we welcome the uh, the editor and one of the other contributors to this uh, very, very, very fascinating book, Rabbi Barbara Simons and Cantor Rhoda Harrison. Uh, Barbara coming to us from Pittsburgh, if I'm not mistaken. It's a big Pittsburgh um, uh, uh, series. And uh, Cantor Harrison from a couple of miles up the road from where I am uh, in beautiful, uh, just pristine Cherry Hill, New Jersey. Uh, <laughs> hey, Barbara Rhoda, welcome. Thank you very, very much for giving us your time. Th- this is um, a fascinating book uh, on the Haftorot. I, first of all, Barbara, let me just come right to you as, as the editor of this. Two things. Number one, real quick for just in just in case somebody left that day in Sunday school that they were explaining all this, just explain really briefly what the Haftorah is. But equally, well, second part of that is, of all the things, what motivated you to focus on the Haftorah selections? So thank you for having me on. And the first question is really important in terms of the book and what I hope to bring forward. So Haftra literally means conclusion. It's the conclusionary sacred text that comes after the Torah portion in the worship service on Shabbat, as well as on festivals. But at the same time, um, some of the reason that people might not be really familiar with the term is that we don't seem to always be hearing the Haftarah portion. And important to the book that we'll get to later is that it doesn't mean prophets. So the only place that Haftarah come from traditionally are from Nevi'im, from the prophets section of the Hebrew Bible, but it doesn't necessarily have to. So I'll sort of leave that as a cliffhanger for a moment. Um, so at the answer to the second question is, uh, I I grew up in Schenectady, New York at Gates of Heaven, and uh, social justice was a big theme there, um, leading me, even when I didn't know anyone, um, at my first job to take a plane to Washington to march for Soviet Jewry and so forth. It was in my blood. And and this idea that Reform Judaism uh, has called itself prophetic Judaism. And somehow, yet, we don't really know the prophets. Um, the traditional prophets and, and even the other voices calling us to action. So the idea is that, um, the, the, uh, the term prophetic Judaism 
is one that we use. And yet, over years, I've realized that while I was at camp on faculty, while I was at a biennial for the URJ, we skipped the Haftra. So if we're calling ourselves prophetic Judaism and we're not hearing the voice of the prophets, we're having a disconnect here. And so the idea was that maybe we could bring this forward. And so I'll just say very quickly that the last session at a conference led by Jonah Pesner and the Rack in December of 2018 was take this microphone. If you have an idea, see if people are interested and go find a room and take an hour. And so I brought forward this idea of having contemporary interpretations of the uh, Haftarot. And a few people came with me and we did some work over the course of a year, year and a half. We were all doing our regular jobs too. And finally, it, it came to a point where I thought, okay, I'll, I'll take a shot. And I brought it to CCR Press and they said yes. So, uh, and again, the, it's available through the CCAR Press, but also the usual outlets, bookstores, uh, Amazon. Um, the, the, the format of the book, it is not just half Torah, half Torah, half Torah for each particular Torah portion. Talk to me about, you have alternative readings, you have alternative blessings, so a whole section of alternative blessings that really encapsulate a lot of things that are going on in contemporary, in the contemporary world. Um, you have selections from a whole variety of, uh, uh, historical figures. Either one of you, why? Why this is instead of just the normal sequential? Because it's it's great. I mean, it's really, really, really great. So if you go back to the subtitle, right? Renewing and reimagining Haftarot. The renewing part is the idea that we take the reform movements Haftarot, which are largely the same as traditional, but there are a few differences in there. And in about 250 words, so they're very short, they're very accessible. contributors, and it was an open call, and there are largely rabbis and cantors, but there are others as well, um, are in giving interpretation and key to the idea of reclaiming prophetic Judaism of a call to action, that we do something with this, not just, oh, that Haftarah had a nice connection to the Torah portion, great, let's say Elenu, let's have Kaddish, let's have a cookie, and let's go on our way, but rather let's bring this out of the sanctuary. So I actually am trying to get it beyond the liturgical cycle, which is which is the goal here. Um, so that was the first part, and there are two of those for every single Torah portion from the entirety of the cycle, as well as for all the holidays. And then it was a question of bringing forward alternative Haftarot. So again, the idea that Haftarah means conclusion and not prophets. I like to say they're prophet-like voices. So the reimagining is when in this open call, we ask people for alternatives. So um, it was a two-step process. Send, send us an alternative and, and we'll say yes. And when I say we... So, so much um, beyond kudos to CCR Press for, for all of their skill and wisdom and, uh, and guidance for me and, and so forth, that, that we work together to, to look at the text and, and then invite people to write again a 250-ish word interpretation with a call to action. And so the alternative texts are magnificent because you have everything from the prophets, like they actually chose the prophets, right, as an alternative. That's beautiful because it increases literacy, 
but they chose a reading that wasn't already part of the cycle. So if you think of Isaiah, who has a tremendous amount of writing, but Haftarot, if they're typically, let's say, 10 to 20 verses, sometimes they're longer, um, you know, you have this much of, of Isaiah. So if it's from Elster and Isaiah, but then go beyond, right? So then if you go beyond to, uh, for example, Job, right? How much we talk about Job? How many people know Job? Last week's alternative was Job, so it's on my mind. But but um, if we think about Psalms and Proverbs, and then we go beyond, we go into Talmud, and we go into Pirkei Avot, and we go into Maimonides, and then we keep going, right? We have medieval poetry, modern poetry. Um, we have Ruth Bader Ginsburg. We have uh, just a variety of alternative texts. So what it does is it brings the diversity of Judaism forward, and it does it not only through the text, but through the contributors. So there, the key number here is 179. There are 179 contributors. So it really is speaking in the voice of Judaism, um, and, it, and it's really powerful. I can say how proud I am of this book because I'm, I'm the editor, but I didn't write this book. Everyone else wrote this book, including my classmate, Cantor Harrison. So, so excited that you are part of this. The other parts of the book, I'll just say quickly, are like you mentioned, there are alternative blessings. So the reason for that is that if you're going to use one of these alternative texts, it's, they're not a prophet. I'm not claiming they're a prophet. Um, but yet the way we asked contributors to choose an alternative text was that it would fit between the blessings. And so being between the blessings, we needed blessings at work. So there are three different alternatives. Um, and so Samantha Frank and Danny Zemmel uh, in Washington had already been working on this. So they brought forward what they have been doing at their synagogue. But the but um, also there were others that were written. Um, and so the idea is to be able to frame text as sacred, not necessarily, again, because they're prophets, but because they're part of our chain of tradition of text. So that's that's another part. There, there are other parts of the book in terms of how to use this book and, and so forth. But but um, but the the last part, which is very exciting, is uh, we have one. It has to be alternative um, for the American Jewish cycle. So we put out there, okay, think of a text for July 4th. And by the way, Rabbi Rick Jacobs wrote for that one. Um, July 4th or for MLK or for Pride Month or for Breast Cancer Awareness Shabbat or, or whatever. And there are um, uh, one after the other, after the other, after the other came in. It's magnificent how many different um, holidays now have a text. So whether it's the Shabbat before or, because I'm hoping to get this beyond being, as I call it, imprisoned on the Bima, uh, at an interfaith gathering or at a board meeting or, or on a march or, or a study session or whatever it might be, that there is a text for Tu B'Shvat, which while Jewish is not, uh, it doesn't have a Haftarah, um, but also for all, all of the the holidays mentioned, as well as Lesbian Visibility Day and the opening of the Olympics. And um, you could just imagine, right, of, of all of the holidays throughout the entirety of the year. So it just brings forward this invitation, frankly, to, to even say, you know what, this is an interesting idea. 
but that text doesn't really speak to me. What would I see could rise between the blessings that maybe I'll even provide as an alternative? So, so the hope is that it becomes sort of an evolution and that in some small way we can reclaim prophetic Judaism. So I, I know that the, one of the key things of the whole book is this sense of diversity uh, and, and openness. So um, Rhoda, you, you've written several, you have several uh, pieces within in the book. One of the things I'd like you to unpack a little bit is, is um, I think you wrote for Shabbat Shira, uh, the Song of the Sea, uh, where the Michamocha is. Um, and then you juxtapose that, I think, in one of your things to the Song of Deborah from the Book of Judges. And you talk about the differences in cantillation. And, and I know you've taught this at Colomy, a little bit at Colomy and Cherry Hill. Talk to me about that and how that plays out in, in um, what you attempted to do within the context of this book. Sure. So first, and, and you're highlighting, this is a Haftor that is part of the traditional right, cycle. Right, 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 right. The Song of Deborah is the assigned Haftarah prophetic reading for Shabbat Shira. And um, to be honest, one of the main reasons why I submitted something for this parasha is it seemed an obvious choice for a cantor, <laughs> the Song of the Sea and then Song of Deborah. Um, but one of the things we often fail to talk about, even with the Shira of Moses, you know, the, the Shira Tayyam of the Torah portion, is the impact of cantillation. And um, as I admit in the essay, I'm passionate and uh, consider myself a cantillation nerd even. Right, you cantillation, that. yeah, cantillation is a layer of commentary in the same way, in my opinion, as Midrash, as um, any agotic uh, interpretation of text. I think explain, cantil- explain that. That's a very interesting thing. The cantillation is a commentary on the text. What, what do you mean by that? So the cantillation is the grammar. It's how we parse the sentences. In addition to that, it's how we add the musical flavor. Often when we talk about cantillation, we, we forget about the parsing of the sentence part. We forget about the grammar and say, oh, that's just a pretty way to sing the text. But it's far more than just adding the pretty layer. Not that that's unimportant. The pretty layer is important. Uh, we're, we're commanded to uh, recite biblical verse in a pleasing manner, according to the Talmud. But that idea that it's the gra- grammatical parsing of the text reminds us that it's commentary. And the one that we've been handed down was not the only one in history. It's the one that became the most accepted and the one most universally uh, handed down Lador Vador from generation to generation. So I'm pretty passionate about looking at what that music tells us about the text. And in this particular parsha, the difference between the Torah portion and the Haf Torah is how the music is used to parse that text. In the Torah Shira, the song that's highlighted in the Shabbat Shira Torah portion, there are these musical excursions that highlight almost every verse in which God's name is recited. That's absent in the Song of Deborah, interestingly enough. And so for me, that was a a Talmudic teacher when I was pursuing my uh, doctorate always said, that's the cherry picker, right? What's the piece you're going to then hook on to to find your commentary or your um, drash. For me, that was the entrance point as, 
we don't need those diversions. That's where humanity steps in. That's where, how can we draw what we then add to the text as human beings? Um, so that to me was an element of how to draw something new out of the text through the musical understanding, the, the, the cantillation, how we interpret through cantillation. The, how important, because both of you in, in the contributions that you make to the book, um, reference camps, the, the summer camp experience as form. How important even right now and all the changes and shifts that are going on within, within contemporary American Judaism, um, how important was this in your formative years? That, that experience at a, at a Jewish summer camp? So my first Jewish summer camp was actually Kutz. So I was already in my teens when I went. Um, but it was tremendously uh, formative. And in fact, the way that I begin my introduction is describing being in the Hader Ochel, singing Out by Might, and having no idea that it was a prophet but we were all about it, right? And they were lifting the, the future cantors uh, in their chairs as they were strumming their guitars and the whole thing. And, and it was tremendously formative, as was when I had been on faculty, which was both at Crane Lake and then when we moved out here at Camp Harlem. Um, all of our kids were very proud. All five of us, my husband and our kids, have gone to Kutz. Aleha Shalom. Um, and we, uh, and, um, we're at Harlem for years and, and, and so forth. And now one of our daughters works for URJ Camp Newman. Um, so I think it's, it's tremendously formative and we have statistics about it, right? When we talk about immersive environments, right? So my, my hope is, and, and one of my next steps with the book is I'm working with Sue Horowitz and others to create music. Rhoda, in case you're interested, um, based on both uh, traditional Haftarah as well, like not by might, right, as well as alternatives, because I don't want it to be only during worship, right? Let's get it to song sessions if we're at camp, but let's get it to closing songs if we are in the synagogue, or let's get it to you know it, just a you know way to bring in Shabbat at home by putting this piece on, whatever the different ways are, right? Um, but to me, tremendously formative. Rhoda? Well, let me piggyback on that. I started my journey at camp. Um, 1977, I was a fifth grader at Camp Harlem. So another commonality, I was a Philadelphian. Um, and I went through Jewish camping a few years at Camp Harlem and then one year also at Kutz. And for me, not only formative, formative as a Reformed Jew, my background as a child was actually not uh, we belonged to a reform synagogue at the time that I went to camp but my family um I spent as much time in a conservative synagogue and before that a modern orthodox synagogue but I think the experience at uh camp for me helped to concretize my reform values and part of how it did that and, and this really piggybacks on something that Barbara said about the book in general is to create a living um let me find the word. You're going to edit this after. I'll just say a living Judaism, one that is open continually to that reform in a present tense. I'm old enough that when I went to my first summer at camp, it was the first time I saw a guitar, for instance. And that style of music interpreted 
from a BEMA, a BEMA outside even. <laughs> you know, it was such an entirely different way of doing worship, and yet it was equally valid and meaningful worship than what we had back at home at the synagogue. And that's my uh, value as a Jew today. That's why I'm a Reformed Jew, because I, I believe that Judaism will survive only if we keep that, that uh, commitment to reform and to create a continually living Judaism. Um, I could very well see this project that you're working on, Barbara. Why not in the synagogue, right? Why not as the Haftarah, a new musical composition? Not by might is wonderful, but it's, it's not the newest, right? We have to keep adding to the layers of tradition and the layers of text and song. And some of the Haftarot are already music by Joe Black, by Rabbi Joe Black, by Sue Horowitz, right? There, there is already some of that music. I will just interject, um, also, uh, if we wanted to include this, that, um, for, for what you did, Rhoda, which was just so scholarly and musical, it was beautiful in such a short amount of words. And that's the beauty of this is our other classmate, uh, Cantor Susan Kara was the other contributor for, as it happened for this portion. And the alternative texts are a poem by Yehuda Amichai and an excerpt from Rabbi Abraham Isaac Cook. So that's just a great example, right, of, of what comes together. And one way to look at this is to read the Torah portion, read the Haftarah, look at the interpretation of the traditional text, and then continue to move forward into the alternatives and their interpretation. So that brings me to another question for you, Rhoda. Um, you wrote an, an, uh, an excerpt on Parasha Bahar. Mm-hmm. And you drashed on Dror, uh, the concept of uh, Liberty Bell freedom. Talk to me about, okay, how that linkage with Bahar and Dror and, cause, and, 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 uh, Barbara's right. You, you encapsulated this in like two, three, two and a half paragraphs. Yes. And, th- and that was the challenge, I have to say. And I, I also want to point to the, editors, including the chief editor, my colleague, Barbara, how they really guided us to whittle it down to the, the essence. <laughs> That's an impressive task. So um, I think for me, I honestly chose Bahar in part because, uh, so I lived in Philadelphia growing up. And as you may know, Richie, I think I've shared with you when I returned, um, actually, you were the camp rabbi, I believe, during my years when I was in Philadelphia as a child. Because I'm very old, <laughs> and you're very young. Thank you for that. But um, go ahead. But go ahead. But but, go ahead. Um, returning to Philadelphia um, after really being away for 30, 35 years and reconnecting with the history of the city and the Liberty Bell, which is so right. central to um, Philadelphia, and and uh, that this sense of ukratum drawer, right? It's from... Torah, but what does it mean, drawer lifted out of Torah? Because, of course, Torah wasn't talking about slavery in the way we understand it today. But in today's context, given the Black Lives Matter, um, growing anti-Semitism, and all the different varieties of hate in our world, I was seeking something that could talk about drawer in that modern sense, not the biblical sense necessarily. And that's um, when I came upon the poem by Ernestine Rose, which talks about that idea of agency. 
What right. does it mean to have agency or to have that taken away from oneself? What does that do to our identity? And so that to me was, um, I like to use the, the word when I was um, sharing this with somebody, another prophetic voice to add to the books of prophets. The, um, again, for those of you who, in, who are members of synagogues or Jewish organizations who are looking for, you know, additional study material, one of the, one of the hidden gems in my, in my opinion of this book is, uh, in a several of the essays, um, charts, historical charts that link, you know, the prophets and Torah portions and what was happening in history, uh, very easily accessible. Uh, uh, to teach, I think, um, uh, Lance Rabbi Sussman's essay, I think Rabbi Bahar's essay, uh, has that. Um, and also, I think, um, let me see, Rabbi Saracen's essay, uh, talking about the, the, the ability for the Haftarot, and I think, Barbara, you alluded to this, to constantly evolve. So the evolution, the ev- this is not static. I think this is one of the, again, on one of the messages of this book, because of the alternative options, it, you're teaching, this is not static. This is organic, evolutionary, because you do have a huge variety of people who are represented. Some, and some people are going to say, what's, what's Marx doing in this book? You know, like, yeah, he's, he's the most controversial. Karl Marx. I'm, I, 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 I'm, I'm sure you got a couple of, I think, uh, so. I think Groucho Marx would be less controversial than Karl Marx, I have to say. But, it's Carl, not Groucho. So, uh. but but if you think of Karl Marx, right? So on the one hand, okay, he wasn't the proudest Jew, but even the contributor who who offered this text, you know, talks about all right, you know, we have issues with it, but the idea, right, of 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 caring for everyone, right, is one that if you think of something that had a a level of prophetic voice that hugely changed societies, right. He he is one who did that. So so I think that that's really important to um, you know acknowledge. And yeah, people might say, "Oh my gosh, this is not okay." Other people might say, "You know what? I'm you know what? We're just sticking with the regular after all. We're good to go." That that's great. But maybe during that week of that Torah portion, you open you open up one of the alternatives and say, "Oh, that's that's interesting, right? Let's look at that." And and regarding this idea of um, having. you know, this evolution of Haftarot that Rabbi Saracen wrote so beautifully uh, is also the idea that even in a traditional congregation, right? If you have a triennial cycle of Torah reading, if you're, if you're reading the first third one year and the second third the second year and the third third, the Haftarot change. So it's not like all of a sudden, oh my gosh, those reform people are doing it again, right? Um, that there is change that happens. And so this is just another way to bring this forward and, and get some of these uh, traditional voices and modern voices out. So I got to ask you both a question that this stems from uh, some of the stuff that's happening now, because both of you have spoken right now and, and written about evolution and change and Barbara, you know, the um, awakening of Elijah rock shout, shout, uh, it, it, it there's, there seems to be, and this may be, well, not editorialized. There seems to be, as being reported in, say, some of the websites that we uh, go to, um, an attempt to extrapolate uh, certain music and readings. Um, I, I saw this on the websites around Passover. 
I'm taking the we shall overcome out of the congregational Seder. I'm taking this this uh, piece out of the the liturgy because it represents is this uh, too much cancel culture? Is this really forgetting? I, I'm I, I love your because you're 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 there in congregation land and and in rabbinical positions and cantorial positions. How do you respond to this? I think it's about balance. Um, I am one of those that is increasingly frustrated with using some of the songs that we use, for instance, MLK Weekend. Uh, be, without, I'd be less frustrated. It'd be one thing if we had a conversation with the community that we're quoting, that we're borrowing from, and said, how, how is it that we as a Jewish community can best draw attention to the values and the goals that you would like to come out of MLK Weekend? And if out of that conversation it is, oh, yes, put this music in your worship, then I'd be, let's do it. But without that, then there's concern for me because then it's borrowing without permission. And what is that in terms of action, in terms of the values of what MLK stood for? So for me, it's less about just whether exerting music and what is the conversations that are happening before, during, and after to ensure that we're really having difficult and important conversations to forward the values that we're trying to forward by using that music, if that makes sense. And I'll, I'll speak to music, though I can't sing. And that is just to say, at, at Temple David, we no longer use Carl Bach's music or Bonia Shore's music, um, because as I say it publicly, especially depending on how old the people are in front of me, but I say because they didn't make good choices regarding women. That's how I say it, right? But I, I, if we just turn to the book specifically, the key here is that the alternative texts were chosen by people from within, I'll just call it those affinity groups. That's not a great term, and I understand that. Um, but, you know, if it's a text for transgender day of visibility or invisible uh, illness day, uh, who am I to write those, right? I mean, that's that's not authentic. So the, the voice are authentic. At one point, somebody um, actually on the editorial committee uh, couldn't make one of the meetings and 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 challenged one of them um, for uh, for one of the LGBTQ related holidays and and I said you know what this is someone from the community they chose the text you can certainly choose a different one for your own practice but who am I to take that one away right so I, I think one of the great things about the book is the authenticity here. Um, if, if we're gonna, you know, there's one that Cantor David Fair wrote, um, for Juneteenth. When we started the book, Juneteenth wasn't a federal holiday. Now it's a federal holiday, obviously. Um, and he brought forward this just breathtaking text from a Haggadah, um, that was found on Ritual Well that, you know, asks the question of what does it mean to be free as a Jew? What does it mean to be free as a person of color? And it is, remarkable. But that had to be from him. That couldn't be from me. So so I, I, I think that that's one of the keys to the book. How would you restructure a service to give more emphasis to Haftorah and all the things you're talking about? Because in a lot of, uh, here's a gross generalization based upon 50 years of experience. Uh, you know, and a lot of our Shabbat morning services, which are basically around the, the bar or bat mitzvah, 
the Haftorah is there. Thank you very much. The kid chants it, maybe, or reads it. But what you're doing with this book is bringing forth um, the richness, this tremendous rich reservoir of practical, spiritual, emotional treasures that sometimes, as you said at the beginning, gets lost. How would you restructure a, a service? What's or is this better done? Is this better done in a formal educational situation? I'll just say this: that when I when I've been teaching the book, right, I ask people who become bar bat mitzvah, their kid or their parent or whoever has, who was your prophet? And and I say I'm going to count to three and yell it out. And and hardly any voices. They don't even know. They can't even name it. Right. That's the problem. So however many weeks or months a student of whatever age spends learning to read or ideally chant their haftarah, do they know who the prophet was? They know what they were saying because it's also out of context. You take 20, 10 or 20 verses out of a very long piece. What? What are they talking about? So one of the things that, that Gunther Plout does well is is um, in the Torah commentary, in the Chumash, right, he'll give a little bit of Isaiah was so-and-so, he lived this time. And this is the connection to the Torah, Haftarah, from the Torah of the Haftarah. But at the same time, um, and what, right? So we have slowed down. Um, we have, I've, I've given a little bit more um, language to, well, think of his context, or we'll pull out a particular line of the um, of the traditional Haftarah, which, by the way, other than um, Cantor Harrison's uh, example, though there Though there are 48 male and seven female prophets, according to most two Jews, three's opinions, so sometimes it's 46, um, the women aren't getting a voice. And remember, if you're a prophet, but you're not in Nevi'im, you don't make it anyway. But but so now we can bring forward these voices. We can talk, we can talk about, you know, who they were and what do they have to say. But the other, so while they're studying, right, not only on that time, but uh, lately, and I'm I'm experimenting with it too, and I'm going to do some online sessions. I'm hoping to do a weekly study uh, through YouTube uh, that I'll start soon. But the but the idea is that um, lately I have been uh, we had the Haftra blessing. We do the part of the traditional Haftra where I framed it, and then I say something like, "That's a great connection," and what. What do we do with it, right? Okay, the tabernacle was completed. Okay, we hear about Solomon completing the temple. That's fabulous. And what? So either I go to the interpretation that's the traditional one from the book, or I go then to a little bit of the alternative and say, well, what if we think about sacred spaces this way, right? So it depends on what we're doing with it. But again, it could also be that it is a opening Kavana, right? Framing the service, right? It could be the closing song. It could be that, you know, there's, there's some kind of a connection just using the text, which I have done, you know, in, in next to Ma'ariv or something, right? So there, there are different ways to bring forward these voices. And I think part of it is giving ourselves the, um, the allowance to be able to play with it a little bit. Right, right, right. So it doesn't, doesn't have to be fixed as a, that fixed part. That's, um, anyway, Rhoda, um, I don't know whether you wanted to add, because I wanted to ask you one quick question before we start running out of time. Well, the only thing I wanted to add was, um, but I think Barbara answered it so beautifully. I don't think restructuring is required. You, you asked this question is like, 
What do we need to do to restructure? I think that's a very big word, and I don't think that's necessary. With the examples um, that were given, it's just a matter of how do you weave things in? We're not blowing up the Shabbat service, right? (laughs) We're not blowing up our educational curriculums or... um, so it's not a restructuring so much as I think a, a, an opening and allowing some new voices in. Um, if I can also just say that one of the pieces of the book that's also interesting is when we think of the first cycle, the first half to created um, were around Passover and that time, right? So just around now, right? Um, and and then we got around the cycle around Tisha B'Av and so forth, and then it grew and grew and grew. As Reformed Jews, largely, Tisha B'Av is harder for us, right? So all of these have to connected not to the Torah portions at all, but it's the time of year. I just want to quickly say that in the book also are three creative cycles. I'm very excited by these. We are currently studying every Monday at 10 at Temple David, the Omer cycle. So Amy Scheinerman wrote seven, chose seven alternatives and interpreted them. We have an Elul cycle. That is the four weeks sort of getting us ready for uh, Rosh Hashanah. So even if in in that time period you're you're just going that way, you're connecting to the time of year. And then we have one related to to freedom um, that is from uh, uh, Thanksgiving through Hanukkah. So another part of the book. So as again, as as we mentioned before, for those of you who are in congregations and teaching or looking at educational opportunities. This, this, um, this is a tremendous resource way beyond just the weekly Torah portion, half Torah portion, um, that you can use in a variety of different ways. Last quick question, cause we're running out of time. Uh, Rhoda, uh, was it a uh, purposeful that you, uh, one of the alternative, uh, readings for Prasha Breshit channeled Regina Jonas? You're, ask, you're asking me, I don't think, I didn't write that. I know, but I, I just thought the, the placing of the first female, uh, Rabbi Jonas, on Bray Sheet, I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, that I it, would it, I would it, comment that I hope that was purposeful, but you'd have to ask the editor. I think, um, you know, I'm, I personally am very drawn to Regina Jonas for a number of reasons. One. I find it fascinating that I never heard of her until I decided to pursue a doctorate in Jewish studies, right? Why did it take that long? I never learned about her at camp. I didn't learn about her growing up as a active in my Hebrew school. At HUC, I never heard of her. I mean, the level of education I needed to get to before I heard about who she was and what she stood for. And also, as you're aware, while it's not... um I have an independent ordination that probably is not unlike what she did because the path for me at a time in my life when I was seeking rabbinic ordination was uh, unusual. And so I I also identify her with that because of the choices she needed to make in her life. Um, So to me, I think the fact that this book opens up with a voice that was silenced for so many decades and is just coming, you know, to, to broad to be broadly known is phenomenal. But again, whether that was purposely put in a Bereshit, I think you need to ask the editor. No, Barbara. Yeah, I don't, I actually cannot answer this because it was an open call. And, uh, and once the wheels started rolling, people were like, Oh, can I have this portion? No, it's taken. How about this? You know, um, 
there was a lot of energy around it, but I I can't speak to it. I mean, that's okay. That's okay. I just I just wanted to mention it because I thought it was a very very well astute placement. Right. But I will I will say though that if you look at the index of alternative Haftarah authors, right, not the contributors, but the authors, it is just a a, a compendium of Jewish literacy. So even if people don't pick it up as oh what what should I study about the Haftarah? But let's look at some texts. It, it's just magnificent. So Rabbi Barbara Simons, Kaner Rhoda Harrison, uh, again, the book, Prophetic Voices, Renewing and Reimagining Haftarah, CCAR Press, available at the usual places, including the great God Amazon. Um, Barbara, Rhoda, thank you very, very much. Uh, I really appreciate this. Good, good, best of luck with the book, uh, cause it's a major, major contribution to, um, our entire corpus of learning. So uh, thank you very, very much for everything you've done. To all of you, thank you very much again for joining us on today's edition of Seekers of Meaning, the podcast TV arm of Jewish Sacred Aging. Again, if you'd like to help support our work, please go to the website, jewishsacredaging.com. Click on the conveniently located donate button, follow the prompts. Uh, likewise, if you'd like information about sponsoring some of these podcasts, just email me rabbi address at jewishsacredaging.com. Seekers of Meaning is produced at the Broadcast Center of Lubeckin Media Companies here in gorgeous, sunny, perfect Cherry Hill, New Jersey. And a big shout out to our guru of uh, production, Steve Lubetkin. Thank you very much again for joining us. I'm your host, Rabbi Richard Address. We look forward to seeing you on our next edition of Seekers of Meaning. In the meantime, stay safe, everyone. Stay healthy. And most of all, be kind to one another. Shalom to die.